Welcome to Caring for Caregivers, your life support podcast, where we explore what it really means to focus on your own mental health and well-being, along with the well-being of your workplace in the face of COVID-19 and other life challenges. I'm your host, Phil Rayner, and I've been working in the behavioral health care field as a social worker, serving in clinical, supervisory, and management roles for almost 40 years. I'd like to welcome Patrick Gauthier to our podcast today. Patrick has 30 years of experience in the managed care and behavioral health treatment sectors. He's held management positions in a variety of medical, mental health, and substance use disorder treatment settings, and served as an executive in a national managed behavioral health care organization for more than a decade. Over the course of his career, he has focused on systemic innovations and public-private partnerships throughout Medicaid and other publicly funded behavioral health care and social service programs. His expertise includes regulatory reforms and healthcare financing, integrated delivery systems, population health, systemic determinants of health, new business planning, and value-based reimbursement. Patrick started and ran a large employee assistance program, which was integrated with a national health insurer to create an entry point for integrated behavioral health plans. His current work focuses on properly aligning the resources and incentives of health and behavioral health payers and providers. Patrick, I'd like to welcome you to our show today. Uh, Thank you, Phil. It's a pleasure to be here. I wanted to begin by asking you a little bit about why is it important for employers to be thinking about the well-being of their employees in the workforce right now, especially in the context of what we've been through with the COVID pandemic? Now, that's a terrific question and, and one that, frankly, there, there are a lot of different answers to, but I think it is, for my purposes, painfully obvious that now more than ever, we have a heightened state of anxiety and reported depression around the country. We've been through a lot. I think the, the very fabric of our Society has been pulled on and tugged on in a lot of different directions, which is stressful. I know it's had an impact on families and friends. And then when you layer in phenomena like the opioid epidemic and the suicides that, you know, some folks call deaths of despair, and then you layer in COVID and what it did to force people into isolation and again, to lead to conflict and disagreement among people who for or against masks or vaccination. And now you layer in war and and mass shootings and even what's happening with the economy today and the, the stock market. What it adds up to is an awful lot of stress and distress. And when our employees, our friends, our coworkers, our families are distressed, that can be the, you know, the root cause then of some other kinds of problems that as employers in the health sector, we certainly want to mitigate for reasons that I hope are obvious to people that if you care for your employees, you're going to want to provide them with what they need to stay well. And that in an environment where there's been a mass resignation, as they call it, the great resignation, and it's increasingly difficult to find, to recruit, to retain talented 
qualified people. But now more than ever, that's what I keep coming back to was now more than ever, we've got to keep people as well as we can by surrounding them with the kinds of support, benefits, and so forth that they need to stay well. I appreciate what you're saying. And I suppose that some employers might take the position that while people are experiencing a great deal of stress, that's more of a personal matter that they need to address in their own lives and might wonder, why is it on me as an employer to carry that responsibility? Shouldn't, shouldn't that really be something that a person takes care of on their own? Well, I appreciate the question. And believe me, in my line of work, I've heard that question many, many times. You know, the answer and the question really go to the heart of stigma and discrimination that we wouldn't describe somebody's diabetes or heart disease or cancer as something that is their problem that they should take care of on their own time. And emotional, mental, psychological wellness are the domain of the brain, the mind, the head, the psyche of the person, which is not something that you can separate from the body. You know, we've been trying to, to keep the body and the head separate for a long time. And it doesn't work. You know, we're in an era where, thank goodness, we're beyond it or should be beyond that kind of separation of, of mind and body. And I think as a consequence, when we recognize that the, the mind uh, can be well and it can be unwell, that we have a responsibility to support one another. I would hope that by now we're past that. I, I know that there are pockets where we aren't, but I really want to encourage that as much as we do to take care of each other, uh, both physically and mentally, emotionally, the benefits accrue not only to the individual and their family, but to their work and to the way that they present in the workplace and frankly, to the entire workplace. And I, I, I look forward to talking about that. What are some things that employers can do now to support the emotional well-being of their workforce? Well, I, I have a little bias having built a, a national EAP employee assistance program. There's no question that I feel very strongly about the importance, uh, the benefits, and the real wide variety of functions of a really high quality EAP. And you know, as to what else can an employer do? There's a long list of, of things employers can do to provide work-life balance that really breeds emotional and mental wellness. And that work-life balance recognizes that, yes, this is in the domain of the, the brain, mind, emotions, and psyche, but a lot of these things are unfolding in society. You know, I, I rattled off a list of six or eight stressors in our society and they really are out there. They're not in here between my ears. How I react to them will dictate, you know, in large part, my level of distress. But certainly what people need right now is a little bit of understanding, a little bit of compassion, uh, some loving kindness, if you will, and some time and a little bit of space where they might be able to help themselves with counseling, for example, 
uh, with exercise, taking a, a walk at lunchtime, maybe having a little extra time during my break to call a family member to check in on them and see how they're doing. And I think it needs to be woven into our culture that we take care of each other. Yes, work is important, but it can't be done at the expense of people, especially if the people are the ones who are doing the work. And uh, it just is such a self-defeating position to take in the workplace. Whereas if I give people time, space, compassion, understanding, then I think they're going to be in, in much better shape and they'll be more inclined to want to take care of themselves because the culture explicitly supports it. It's not a secret that we have these benefits. It's not a secret that maybe on the lunch hour, we're going to do yoga. Uh, maybe there's a team of people that go for a walk after work. Maybe there's a team of people that are having you know, some diet nutrition classes together or they're sharing recipes. And I think by making it a function of our culture in the workplace and uh, the collective effort of folks, it number one, it normalizes all of these efforts. But it also, and we know from recovery, for example, recovery circles, that it's a social phenomenon that my accountability to you, if we agree we're going to go for a walk, I'm much more likely to meet you in the parking lot. And we'll go take that walk together, Phil. Whereas if it's something I'm doing secretly, uh, nobody knows about it. Well, then I'm not held accountable to anyone but me and I can let myself off the hook. So I really want to encourage that kind of cultural emphasis because it, it really holds people accountable and, and, and it's more fun. <laughs> Great point. One of the uh, very hopeful signs that I've seen in the workplace is uh, a movement toward something that's been referred to as either the recovery-friendly workplace or the recovery-ready workplace that builds on just what you were describing, the, that when people come together in a supportive community and, and there's a social connection, that they really can thrive and can support and hold on to some of your best employees who might be going through a difficult time by being supportive and being a resource. Absolutely. You know, and uh, those of us who've worked in the behavioral health arena for any amount of time know, and I think most people know, but it, it's, it's worth repeating and reminding us all that when we, as an employer, participate in a collective wellness of this kind, it breeds a great deal of loyalty, which is wonderful, but it also reduces turnover, which we can't afford. It reduces a phenomenon uh, some people refer to as presenteeism, and that is the people who are under so much stress or distress and, and worried and or depressed. They're showing up at work, but not particularly effective and, and unproductive, and not because they are you know, trying to thwart the organization's progress. No, it's because they are having difficulty functioning. And absenteeism can be reduced, you know, the days that somebody might take in the form of a, a sick day or even a mental health day. Not that there's anything wrong, of course, with sick days and mental health days, mm -hmm. but you can reduce reliance on those kinds of days away from work by creating an atmosphere where people really are encouraged to, to help one another, to help themselves and to, to get the help they need which is going to be a real boost for morale, teamwork, a sense of belonging. Again, the, 
so much of this is cultural. You know, the quality that people produce in their work. And I think this is really important. And that is how they're relating to your customers. If I'm in distress, if I'm depressed, if I'm anxious and I'm mingling with your customers, Phil, I'm going to convey that anxiety. I'm going to convey my sense of grief or despair or frustration, you name it. That comes across. And I think it's real important to help our folks so that in the, in the long run, we're helping ourselves. You know, everybody benefits. I like to look for the win-win. Uh, and of course, you know, stress tends to produce Back pain, for example, abdominal pain, intestinal problems can lead to cancers and heart disease. So if we can mitigate the stress and distress, then we're saving the employee and ourselves on the financial side of the the medical plan and so forth. And if I can help an employee, I know that by extension, I'm helping their family. And families are important me, of course, I've got my own. And, and I know that if my relationships at home are good, my relationships at work are going to be better. If I'm at home and we're, we're both working from home, we're raising kids at home, like so many people experience, I'm going to bring that angst into my work. I'm going to bring that level of frustration into my work. So, you know, happy family, happy employee, happy customer. And then, you know, I hate to say it, but there are times when people become so distressed that they really act out in ways that can lead to accidents in the workplace, that can lead to violence in the workplace. I know that sadly, we've seen examples of that in the news. You know, the sooner we put these kinds of benefits and the sooner we wrap people up and embrace them with a culture that welcomes emotional wellness and mental wellness, the better. You know, Patrick, your observations about the impact of distress on employees so that somebody might be experiencing higher levels of angst and then bringing that into the workplace, I think is particularly important when we're talking about behavioral health and human service organizations where our employees are interacting in the most sensitive areas of our clients' lives. And if the employees are in distress themselves and bringing that into the interaction, then it becomes very difficult to be a helping provider, you know, and, and the client is people kind of feel where each other is at, they're likely to pick up on that. And then you have a, a distressing situation all around. I think this is especially important for health and human services workers. No question. No question. And, you know, I want to go back to this, this notion of, a, you know, what can you do? And I, I mentioned I've got this particular bias in favor of employee assistance programs in conjunction with other things. I don't see them as a, you know, the be all and end all. However, if you have an EAP in place today, or you're considering an EAP or something like an EAP, I think it's real important to start with your own culture and to ask yourselves, are we the kind of workplace that is going to support people in relation to this benefit? Are we going to support the EAP vendor themselves interfacing with us? And are we going to have a, a champion, for example, on our executive team who can stand behind the decision to have an EAP, to use an EAP, 
And like I said earlier, to normalize, you know, sitting down and talking with another human being about what it is that's troubling you. And I think an EAP done well ought to consist of a 1-800-CRISIS hotline that can support people accessing their EAP, oftentimes after work or on the weekend. It's when people have the time to reach out to maybe try to schedule an appointment, or if they're in crisis, tends to be late at night or on the weekend. So make sure that kind of telephone number is answered by qualified clinical staff 24-7. Every day of the year, there needs to be somebody on the other end of the line. And then you know, EAPs are often sold to employers on the basis of a a particular number of visits per case. And so it might be three visits that are free, which is coincidentally what President Biden is advocating for, you know, mental health benefits to provide three free visits up front, which is the EAP model. And I, I would submit that three is great, but eight is really going to be a magic number. Eight tends to be the number that in all my years of EAP business, people desired, and not just the patient, but the clinicians are looking at somewhere between six to 10 visits of short-term solution-focused therapy before they might make a referral for something more significant. The other variable I think that's really important is to promote your EAP. Having an EAP that's buried in a PowerPoint presentation somewhere, having an EAP that you know people don't know the name of, they don't know the telephone number, is effectively useless. You know, an EAP is as useful as you promote it to be. You really celebrate with folks by hanging posters up. And our EAP business really fond of branding the EAP, getting people's attention, using color and photographs to to get people's attention and to have them look at the EAP favorably as something that was normal. It was a benefit and that their employer cared, and we conveyed that. And, you know, we did the same thing with a member or employee wallet cards that had the 1-800 number, and we put it on magnets, and people could put the magnet on their fridge at home. We had monthly newsletters that talked about kids and talked about performance, talked about relationships and, and some of the conditions that people are familiar with, like depression and anxiety. So that we were educating, we were conducting the outreach, we were promoting, and that goes a long way toward normalizing the services. We, in this day and age, can do podcasts like this. Mm -hmm. We can do webinars. We can do all kinds of video training. So I really want to encourage employers, particularly in the health and human services arena, for heaven's sake, do what you can to, uh, to promote you know, really liberal use of this kind of benefit, knowing and making sure everybody understands you don't have to have a a diagnosis to need or want to sit down and talk with a counselor. It could be, you know, for any reason that you're coming in and talking. And, you know, that notion of coming in and talking is something I just personally want to underscore. I'm a big fan of technology. I use it all day long. And telehealth, I think, is wonderful. And I think that sitting down face-to-face is a very powerful uh, way for two human beings to 
to connect, to listen, to understand each other, and to begin to form a good, you know, clinician and patient bond, you know, so that they can make some real progress. So, you know, there's a whole host of things that can be done by the employer long before somebody picks up the phone and calls a supervisor training. How do we train our supervisors and our managers to talk about the benefit, to notice when people are struggling, to know how to talk about mental and emotional wellness and without violating the law. You have Mm -hmm. to be very, very careful. So we spent a lot of time training supervisors. And once they felt comfortable, they became part of that culture to promote effectively brown bag meetings, luncheon, in-services, trainings, you know, to get employees sitting together in a cafeteria, sitting together outside in a loading dock. I mean, I used to do this kind of thing in mining industries, in the lumber industry, construction industry, it didn't matter. You know, when you show up and you stand around the parking lot and talk about real life, people want to participate in that conversation. And we talk about kids and work and having to take care of your parents and your kids at the same time, you know, and then sadly, employers will sometimes have to rely on what's called a critical incident, stress debriefing, violence in the workplace happens. And knowing that we have some professionals locally that we can call on, who've been trained to come in and help us debrief what's happened and connect people with, you know, really good resources in the community is essential. I hate to think of workplace that that doesn't have that flexibility, that capacity in the face of crisis. What are they doing? And I think that if you know your employee population well, you can couple your EAP benefits with your health plan. You can couple your EAP with elder care, with child care kinds of resources. There's a whole range of work-life benefits that include debt management and financial management, legal aid kinds of services. I think all of those things, gym memberships today are really popular as a benefit. Yoga, which is just sort of this you know, wonderful form of exercise and stillness and quiet and mindfulness. It's what people need right now. So that's my bias. You're hearing it all, Phil. I'm laying it all on the line. (laughs) I'm a big fan of EAPs myself, and I recognize what you're saying about the wide range of resources they can provide. And at the same time, it's so important that employers advocate for the use of them because very often employees lose track of the fact that they even have the benefit. One of the challenges can be it can appear that there isn't much interest in using the benefit because people forget that they have it. And so it needs to be regularly promoted because we're, we're busy. But I agree with you. I think EAP is one of the greatest resources that employers can make available for their staff and their teams and, and can be a tremendous resource when people know about it. You know, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about the impact your words are having you know, as a senior staff in the organization saying all of these wonderful things about an EAP for junior staff, for folks who might be reluctant to engage with an EAP, to hear you say that, they might begin to lean in. And I think that that's, you know, for anyone in that employer seat, 
whether they're the HR director, the folks I used to work with all the time, or the CEO who's making a decision to provide these kinds of benefits. It's why at the top of this conversation, I said, you know, the first thing you got to do is check your own culture. If, if my culture, if I'm the CEO of company X, if my own personal beliefs and, and values and principles surrounding mental and emotional wellness are supportive, are in favor of, are appreciative of providing this kind of benefit, I'm much more inclined to talk about it enthusiastically, to motivate people to avail themselves of it. But if I don't believe in it, if I think, oh, you're better off you know, doing this thing or this other thing, then I'm going to set the tone. I'm the employer. And I can make the investment and then wonder why people aren't using it. Well, maybe they're not using it because you rained on that particular parade. You know, if you have something really positive to say about it, people will have a different experience with it. They follow your lead. You're the leader. You know, so it's incumbent upon leaders to, to set the right tone. It's interesting that you mentioned that. And, you know, speaking about senior leaders, one of the things that I've heard in talking with leaders in a variety of different organizations and certainly in healthcare is that it can be lonely at the top. People in senior leadership positions are often dealing with a host of stresses and really can't just openly vent because that has an impact in the organization as well. And I've spoken to a number of organizational leaders who use their EAP benefit for that purpose, to have a place to go where they could sort out some of their own concerns. And then at least a few occasions, we're willing to share that experience with their employees to say, I've utilized this benefit and this was a great resource to me. And I want to encourage you to think about this and use this. There's, this is why we have this for you. And the use of those services goes up dramatically. It's, it's such a validation for employees when they hear that the senior leadership recognizes the need and has made use of it themselves. And in this day and age, we know that it can take months to replace a really valuable employee, right? And it can cost five, 10, 15, $50,000, depending on the person you're trying to replace. That $50,000 will buy an awful lot of EAP, <laughs> you know? So it's such a fabulously preventive benefit. It's such a tremendous investment in your people. It's been a long time since I was in the EAP business, but I can tell you that if I went into an employer, I can almost always guarantee them that the EAP benefit would cost them less than they were spending on coffee. And I was almost always right that they were spending more on coffee than they were on the emotional and mental wellness of their people. So I say that because if anyone out there is doing the math, you know, they're an employer and they're wondering, well, should I do this other thing? Maybe it's less expensive. You better have a better idea, I would suggest, of what it costs to recruit somebody after you've lost a really valuable employee with all kinds of institutional knowledge and customer relationships, not to mention in the health and behavioral health arena and human services arena. When we lose an employee, we're losing their billing potential as well. So the cost of that employee leaving me because they're having you know great distress in their lives or 
or they're burnt out of work is compounded by the earning potential of that. You're so, losing out on both ends. Yeah. I mean, the math is so easy for anyone wondering, gosh, is it worth it? And if you are worried that people are going to use it so much, it's going to cost you. Oh my gosh, you're worried about the wrong thing. You want utilization to be high, not low. <laughs> and and if it costs you more, so be it, because it's saving you on the back end so much more. I'll say it one more time because it bears repeating. If you find people are not using the benefit in this climate today, under all of these conditions, then you only have one place to look, and that's inside at yourselves, whether it's in human resources or your executive team to say, what are we doing to tamp down the enthusiasm? What are we doing to stigmatize this benefit? What are we doing to discourage people from taking care of themselves? Don't look to the people. You got to look to yourselves to see what kind of foundation you've put in place for, for wellness. I really appreciate your input in regard to this. And I'm a huge supporter of EAP as a valuable resource for employers. If people wanted to learn more about how they might access EAP for their organization, is there anything that you'd recommend in, as to how they could learn more about it? Absolutely. There are two EAPA and EASNA, two associations of EAP vendors, international, of course, because many employers are, are global or international in their scope. So EASNA, which is the Employee Assistance Society of North America, and then the EAP Professionals Association, EAPA. So I would look them both up, and I also would encourage you to talk to your health plan carrier. Health plans very often followed the same recipe uh, we did in, in our company. It's, we bolted ourselves onto a health plan, and more than one health plan. And that way, when the health plan was out marketing itself and selling its own policies, they could give their employer customers the option of adding an EAP or not. And the same way they add vision or dental benefits, they would add EAP. So if you don't have an EAP and want to look into adding one to your benefits, talk to your benefits broker. If you're working with a broker or a consultant, or talk to your salesperson from whichever of the insurance companies you are providing health insurance through, they will know. They'll have a company, a supplier, a subcontractor that they can connect you with. I would encourage everyone who's considering EAP to really insist upon a high-touch relationship. This is boots on the ground, coming in, doing the education, the training, putting the posters up. This is a very interactive dynamic to build the level of trust, familiarity, attraction to the benefit. It, it's not something that can be done purely in the digital sphere. You really need to, to have a relationship with this benefit. So it's not to say that there aren't some wonderful digital tools out there. There certainly are. And I'm, a, like I said earlier, a big fan. I'm a big fan of telehealth. But I think in this case, uh, if you're introducing a new EAP benefit, you, you want to take a high-touch approach to it as well as a high-tech approach. 
Patrick, thank you very much. Are there any other closing thoughts that you'd want to share with listeners um, about supporting and promoting the wellness of their workforce? Yes, I really want to encourage, again, a climate of sanctuary in the workplace. You know, we have to remember that, you know, there are an awful lot of people who are having difficulty with what's going on, whether it's COVID or the whole array of distressing things that are going on in the world. And when that's happening, really recognizing and appreciating that the environment we create and co-create with our employees is an environment they're going to be in as much as they are at home. And I think all of us would agree that we when we create our homes together with our family, or if we're living alone, we create a space that we hope is sanctuary. I think the employer can do the same with the workplace, is create a place that is really warm and an embrace and recognizes each person's valuable contribution and reminds them to take time, to take space, and you know, underscores that everyone is appreciated for the whole person that they are. And that you don't have to spend a lot of money. That's not what I'm talking about. This is a purely cultural phenomenon that create this place that is a sanctuary for your people, eight, nine, 10 hours a day, depending on who's doing what. It ought to feel good. It ought to support me as a whole person and not just as a, a worker bee, but as a whole person. So I'll leave you with that, Phil. I want to thank you for all your thoughts. This has been great. Thanks so much for your input. Oh, boy. Thank you for the opportunity. Help is here. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental health or substance use concerns, contact 1-833-2-FIND-HELP. This podcast is produced by Advocates for Human Potential and supported wholly or in part through an emergency COVID-19 grant to the Illinois Department of Human Services Division of Substance Use Prevention and Recovery from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. The sentiments expressed in this podcast are not endorsed by any of these involved entities.